Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is a, a new segment for us. Case in point with Lauren Honickman. We'll do this regularly on Tuesdays because there are so many big headlines, you know, court issues uh, and stories that deserve our attention. And he's great at breaking them down. He joins us now. Hello. In point. Case in point. What do you think? I like it. Wow. I like it. Very good. Yeah, Very good. Uh, oh, by the way, nice job on election night. I, <laughs> I was watching, watching. I survived. Everybody, everybody did a, a nice job that night. And, uh, Fun night. I, I could see you all were having. You were into it, and uh, I know I'm not going to dissect that tonight. On I, I was in Ham- I was I was in my hometown, so I was I was happy. I was. I, I mean, look, I could not have been more out of place, but uh, still, as you know, elections are fun to cover. Oh, they are. They are. And, <laughs> no and, you know, and you never knew. Well, you and I talked a week ago about uh, what could happen and whatever. But uh, and and I'm not going to dissect that now. But anyway, it was. Uh, it, it, I know we're going to be talking about one story yes. uh, that happened at Queen's Park that I know Doug Ford has, uh, has spoken about, so we'll get into that. But, but from yeah, That hasn't gotten a lot of attention, so I'm glad that we're talking about it. Yeah. Let, let's start with a story that uh, certainly um, you know, hit, hits a city like Hamilton. Uh, they certainly have been focused on it, but Dellen Millard, of course, has gotten an awful lot of attention. Yeah. It was buried, of course, because of the election coverage, but his court uh, case continues as we start to hear more details. And just for background, let me bring the uh, listeners up to date. So what we have learned uh, in in recent days is that Del Millard blamed his dad for what he called financial issues around the family business, the aviation business. And he called his dad a failure. And we're starting to learn the details of this through the text messages, which had been uncovered off of Millard's computer through conversations that he had with his then girlfriend, Christina Nugda. She was, of course, the loser who we heard of in the Tim Bosma case who uh, lied about pretty much everything. She had been charged with uh, obstruct justice. But, um, you know, we've learned details about, you know, phone movement between where Mr. Millard was. He said the night that his dad died he was with Mark Smitch, but phone records now show that he actually made trips back to the home he shared with his father. The other thing we're learning about is the gun that he purchased. It was right. purchased by a gun dealer and it did have his DNA. So the, the Crown does have um, evidence that it seems to be putting forward. Here's my question to you on some of the testimony that we heard about in the last couple of days. Yeah. The prosecution, the Crown, uh, wanted to submit a picture of Della Millard that showed him with a bloody eye. Right. And it had been uploaded to a gaming site two weeks before Wayne Millard's death. And the Crown argued it was not by coincidence because the picture was put up before Wayne's death until the day that Tim Bosma died on May 6th in yeah. 2012, and it was taken down. The lawyers from uh, Del Millard, Raven uh, Pillay, said it was prejudicial, but it's judge alone. Yeah, but even if it's judge alone, and people have to understand that, uh, a judge has to treat evidence in the same way as, as if that evidence was going to go to a jury. So a judge has to make the same type of admissibility rulings that she would make with a jury trial. So this is, this is interesting because 
this type of evidence, and if you see the picture, by the way, you can see it in all the stories online, you know, this picture of uh, it's uh, yeah. with him he uploaded to this gaming site, you know, his eye yep. is uh, completely bleeding. And, of course, uh, the reason the Crown said, well, you know, look at this is probative because uh, this whole issue about Wayne Millard shooting himself in the eye and died by suicide, um, it, it's, it's, it has probative value. But a judge looks at it, and, and Justice Forstell said, no, this, is, this would be evidence of discreditable conduct. So let me just explain that. Evidence is, is discreditable when it tends to show that the conduct of an accused, which would be viewed with disapproval by a reasonable person, it went beyond which alleged in the, in the indictment. So it's, it's potential for prejudice, uh, distraction. Uh, it's so... What a judge has to do is say, okay, so that's the prejudicial fact. Does the probative value outweigh that? There have been cases, Alex, where you had um, uh, discreditable conduct, but the court said no. It goes to motive. It's motive. Right. It's really important evidence on motive, and and um, that it it should not be uh, uh, excluded from the trial. So the probative value outweighs the prejudicial effect in this case. Uh, Justice Forstell made the uh, the balance on the other side and said, no, it's not admissible. Now, here's an interesting thing that you said about a judge alone. And you, uh, to me, it's, you, you have to give judges so much credit for this. Unlike a jury that never would have known about this, this photo, right. these arguments would have taken place in their absence, so they'd have no... Uh, well, the judge, the judge now knows this, but the judge says, I'm disabusing myself. I'm not going to... When I go back at the end of this case and I deliberate the verdict in this case, I will not use that photograph in any way possible. And we put our faith in judges that way, and I, and I, and I do believe judges do that. So that was the ruling in the case uh, with respect to that. Very interesting. It is, but why wouldn't that speak to, and why couldn't the Crown argue, it speaks to state of mind, it speaks to character, that if you can be the kind of person who can get off on showing that kind of image, I mean, does that not speak to a macabre side of Della Millard? Can right. you not speak to character on that? And you can't put in bad character evidence of someone in that way, and you've, you've touched on another very important point. If Del, if Dylan Millard were to testify, this is all hypothetical, and, and remember, this trial was done uh, on its own specific facts, its own evidence. This isn't some sort of continuation of the trial with respect to Tim Bosma uh, or, or Babcock. Uh, this is separate. So mm-hmm. right now, this is just the Crown's case. There is no evidence. Mr. Millard hasn't testified. He's not putting his, quote, good character into um, into evidence at all. So you can't just come out and say, well, look, look what he did. So this would, this is the type of character uh, that he is. That's why it's it would be discreditable conduct. That's why a judge it's presumptively inadmissible, and that's why a judge has to go through this exercise. You know what it's exactly like, Alex? You, you, you've heard about similar fact evidence, mm. where, where the Crown tries to put evidence of similar circumstances that a per, an accused is in charge with, and they want 
that evidence to be admissible. Same type of analysis. Does the probative value outweigh the prejudicial effect? We do a lot of balancing yeah. in Canadian courtrooms. I'd be and, a terrible judge. I'd be like, yep, picture's in and uh, oh, no, yeah, <laughs> you, you have it right on that side. The scale <laughs> for you would go bomb, bomb yes. each time. You, and the, uh, but no, but to yeah. do a, a, a trial fairly. And then, of course, what you said, the other interesting part of this trial now um, is are, are, are those text messages. Yep. And and we, you know, they've threw, thrown in a whole whack of them. And, and, of course, today, one of it where he says to his friend, something terrible has happened. Um, and uh, he's uh, he's texting friends and telling them about, uh, you know, what what's happened to his dad. And one text, he says, my dad shot himself. My world has never been so upside down. Um, I think they also played, did they not, um, part of a... Uh, a videotape uh, interview that he did with the police at yeah. that time. And, and again, you know, in hindsight, now that you know about his other crimes, which, again, has nothing to do with this trial, but watching him and listening to him, you know, everything comes into perspective. It comes into perspective, yeah, and not to mention, um, it just, uh, I've completely had a brain fart. I was going to take it somewhere, and now it's gone out of my my, uh, my brain. I was <laughs> well, thinking while you were I was like, yeah, that, that's a good point. And <laughs> I've lost the thought. It'll come back in about 10 minutes yeah, when I'm talking and, about something and, else. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but these these uh, these text messages. Again, oh, sorry, I was going to say it was text messages and technology that sunk him. I think in the in the first two trials, they were very damning against him. Yeah, and 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 it's interesting. One of um, one of the witnesses today being asked by the Crown if uh, if Wayne Millard, this is a guy who worked with Wayne Millard, um, ever told him why he was pushing so much of the family's wealth into this new venture. And the, the testimony was, quote, he told me it was to leave something for Dellen. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you, and you hear these things. And again, um, I think we all, and, and I know you do this, even though we're sort of joking there about you always being on that one side of the scale. We know that uh, in this particular case, um, this judge is going to have to determine whether or not the Crown's proved beyond a reasonable doubt that, uh, that he's responsible for the murder of his father. Yeah. Uh, outside of anything that he may have done before, which has no relevance at this moment in time with respect to this trial. Yeah, it's crazy. Let's talk about uh, Miss Elizabeth Wetlaufer, because this is a story that's not getting probably as much attention as it should. It's an important story. Uh, This uh, inquiry that is ongoing into the woman who killed eight of her very vulnerable patients. And we know that the warning signs were there. We know that the complaints were there, the suspensions. We knew that all the red flags were waving. But now we learn basic rules, protocol, not filed, basic stuff like filling out a report when a patient was given an insulin overdose just one week after this woman was hired. Well, it's, you know what, Alex? It's this inquest, or it's not an inquest, it's actually a public yeah, what, By the inquiry. way, why is it an inquiry and not an inquest? Uh, it's a public inquiry uh, that was put together and ordered under the Public Inquiries Act. So it's, it's a different type of, it's, it's a form of an inquest, but it's much more comprehensive. Right, okay. And it's, uh, we've had many of these, uh, many people may remember back in the 80s when it was the, inqu- uh, the public inquiry into the deaths at the hospital for sick children, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Walkerton Inquiry. Yep. So that's what this is. And I, I got to tell you something, this inquiry, every single day, mm-hmm. Evidence comes out there where you shake your head yeah. and you say, oh, my God, what if, 
what if and and it's but it was it, all there it, it, i mean it, it was a matter of someone doing their job and no one did their job it doesn't stop no i know and and in what you were talking about um was 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 a, a report that doesn't get filed to the ministry of health and long-term care after a patient receives an, an insulin overdose and what they say is they don't know if that report would have shut down wet lawfers killing spree even before it even before it uh, began. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, you know, it, it's quite incredible. I have on my screen at work, uh, you know, I'll, I've, I've got a link to the inquiry. Anybody, by the way, you can just watch it and, and, and the evidence. And, and I just keep myself because it's, it's, it's mesmerizing in so many ways because, again, unlike a trial, an inquiry at the end of the day really isn't fine, even though the fault is there, not making findings of civil or criminal findings, but it, it really is something to, to, to witness because this inquiry, they, what they wanted to find out is how in the world did this happen? How in the world did this person commit these murders using insulin that she accessed at the nursing home where she worked? And, and the other thing that people have to remember, and I know we underline this, her crimes may never, ever have come to light had she not confessed. Yeah. That's how poor all of the reporting and the checks and balances that weren't in place there. And that's with the reporting paperwork that, that really wasn't reporting paperwork. There were unions protecting her. There were associations protecting her. There were people not filing basic reports. All the whole system collapsed on this one person. And if you think, like Lauren, the bigger picture is I think, okay, where else is this happening? Where else is this sloppiness happening in our medical system with our vulnerable seniors? Well, what you hope is, and what these, the purpose, of course, in these inquiries is not only to get the answers, but if possible, to try and prevent similar deaths from happening in the future. But you know it's BS. None of these inquiries or inquests ever lead to change. I hate to say that, well, I, but I'm very few of them, there, very there few of them do. Been, there, I, I think, and we can talk about this another night, and we can go through them. That would be an actually a really interesting exercise to do in this spot. Let's look at some past inquiries where it was high profile and see if anything has changed. Because there are some things that have, but I don't disagree with you. A lot of times they, it's high profile, uh, we, we get uh, a plethora of evidence, and then what comes out afterwards. But mm-hmm. I can tell you, this is one inquiry yeah. where it seems that every single witness, when they're complete, you shake your head, you go, oh my God. I know. Uh, no autopsy done in one day. Well, this didn't happen, that didn't happen, and it just goes on and on. Yeah. Oh, look, an insulin overdose. Oh, well, never mind. We won't follow up. She I mean, it's crazy. I know. Herself. I know. And got got referral letters. Um, Yeah, when she was let go, she got a referral letter. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think some civil action will uh, be further further coming on this. I do not doubt that. Let's talk about Lindsay Shepard, because she has filed suit against Wilfrid Laurier, claiming that the attacks against her mm-hmm. have rendered her unemployment, uh, unemployable. Shepard, for those of you who don't remember, is the teaching assistant who dared and was punished for showing a TVO clip of Jordan Peterson for her class debate. And she claims, Lauren, that what she went through, and I won't list it all off, uh, but it's crushed her career plans for grad studies and teaching and has made her, um, you know, not employable. So she's suing for about $3.6 million. I think she's got a great case. Well, 
you know, we talked about statements of claim, you and I, very recently. I think it may have been last week or the week before yeah. uh, during the election campaign. Statements, are claim, statements of claim are what they are. They just are a statement of a claim. It, it, it has always lots of allegations there and etc. Now, I'm not saying that, that Lindsay Shepard may not have a good case in law with respect to the specific torts that her lawyer has brought. But this claim will be, um, I think, will be defended. And to say that you are now unemployable in academia, and I'm not saying that she isn't, uh, but some people could argue, and, and again, there has been no statement of defense put in yet, but some people could argue, well, wait a minute, before this happened, perhaps nobody really knew much about who Lindsay Shepard was. And, and perhaps that Lindsay Shepard, because the, the university uh, did uh, take numerous measures to try to address the matter, they issued an apology to her, um, they did what they called an independent review, perhaps somebody could argue, and I, this is all hypothetical, that, that maybe it's the opposite that Lindsay Shepard may be, may be more employable than she could have been before because of her notoriety. Now, I'm not saying she hasn't suffered, and, and indeed, but, but I, I think w- these are always very important times for you and I to underline the fact that these are just statements of claim. It will be interesting to see how uh, the claim is defended when the, uh, when the university and, and her various, uh, her, the professor that she worked for and others put in their statements of defense. Yeah, and not to mention, this will get a huge amount of media attention, or should, uh, that may prompt settlements and or agreements and many whatever. times it does <laughs> you're going to be a great civil litigator oh, and yeah. you don't even like the subject <laughs> yet. uh let's talk about doug ford because this story really mm. didn't get the um i think the attention that it deserves why he, not well uh, i'm gonna say why not before you even tell i know the exactly story. That, I, that's why i keep going why not well same question is why has no one spoken out against it sooner and we're talking about the al quds rally and doug ford who hasn't even taken his office yet, um, has said unequivocally that the Al-Quds rally, which is an anti-Semitic hate gathering that has been allowed to protest around Queen's Park, is no more under his watch. And for the second year in a row, uh, this group had no permits, no policing, no one in the city did anything about it. And I don't know, Lauren, other than Doug Ford, I have not heard any no. politician who, who has the gonads to finally say it's not okay to wish death on Jews and, and walk around with terror flags or, or, and, and so-called. I mean, uh, that yeah. would be hate speech, would it not? Yes. And Alex, I sat in your seat where you're sitting right now through the years, two years ago, three years ago, when I was guest hosting for whoever, whomever there, when this came up at this time of the year and we'd open the phone lines and people would go free speech, free speech, free speech, free speech. We don't want to curtail free speech, free speech. And it all, I always shake my head and I say, okay, I have no problem with free speech. I'm a huge free speech advocate. But we live in a country where we have and agree to limitations. It's not anything and everything. We don't allow that here for a very specific purpose. And by the way, if we are going to let it, then you're not going to let it on the grounds of Queen's Park, which is owned by the taxpayers, which some of whom are Jewish. You know, if you want to go do it in your backyard, do it on the streets of downtown, knock your boots. 
But but again, you know, and we've seen NDP in the past have supported this. Uh, the leader, uh, the federal leader, um, Jagmeet Singh, he had supported the Al Quds rally. I don't know why it never got brought up, but it has been supported by uh, various politicians at Queens Park. And frankly, it just it should have been denounced outright. We would never allow this against any other group. No, we wouldn't. And I think, and and you know what? We wouldn't now. You're absolutely correct. Any other group, if this happened to, we wouldn't allow it. And well, we Christians, would we would allow it to. We let, you can say whatever you want about Christians these days. So, it just it it to me it it is. Um, I, I and I've got I've been in this debate so long uh, with respect to limitations on freedom of expression, limitations on freedom of speech. You know, uh, people say, "Well, you know, you don't have to come to the rally." You know, there, there used to be that 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 argument: if you don't like something, turn it off. Right? If you heard it on the radio, you didn't like it, turn it off. Uh, so if you don't care, you know, if you don't like this, well, don't come to Queens Park and and don't allow. Well, no, uh, unfortunately, that's not the world we live in right now. We don't live in these little cocoons where. People People are doing something in a basement, and you may not hear about it. This is at, as you say, this is at Queens Park. This is yeah. at our legislative buildings. This is at buildings where 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 legitimate protest uh, has taken place and must take place. We don't have any problems with that. I only have problems when people say that there should be no limitations on speech. Take a pill, Lorne. There's nothing wrong with this. Let them say what they want, because that's the wonderful country we live in. No, sometimes speech hurts, and, and, it, and rightfully so, and that's why we have limitations. And you know what? I, too, was very happy to see the new premier-elect say, you know what? Now on his watch, these types of, of hate rallies are not going to take place on the, on, uh, in front of the legislative building. No, it's the right uh, decision, standing on the right side of history, and uh, kudos to him. Yes. You know, take it to the streets. I don't care what you do in the streets, but not on Queen's Park. Right. Sir, I got to go. My pleasure. That's See it. you again next week. Thank you, sir. That is Lauren Honickman joining us for this weekly episode of Case in Point here on Point on Global News Radio.